Everybody, welcome to the Four Two Three Soccer Pod. This is Jim. You could find me on Twitter at Chattagooner. Hey, this is Todd. You can find me at Great Footballer on the Twitter. So, Todd, I tweeted out earlier that we were going to change gears a little bit and talk about some youth soccer. So later on, we're going to have Hans Hobson on from TSSA. That was a conversation that kind of came out of a phone call that that you had. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, um, but first. Uh, we got we had some NISA news uh, that came out today, something that I think a lot of us were, me in particular, harassing the club about. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's the long anticipated list of interns. No, no, it was not the long and anticipated list of interns. Although I did generally laugh out loud at your tweet. I, I am I was ready, and now we have the the full spring. At least league schedule. It's it's. I don't think it's going to end up being the full spring schedule, but it's at least the league games. Uh, we already knew that we were opening up out in Northern California against Oakland Roots. We already knew that our first match was going to be that next week against the Stars. Now we know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the uh, of the of the games. Anything. Anything you want to talk about about the schedule? Uh, yes, airfare to California is pricey. You know, I was I was just saying, you know, I talked to uh Heather, um the Mrs. Chattagooner, Ms. Gooner, and um you know, I was like, "Hey, let's go because she's been wanting to go out to Northern California." I'm like, "Hey, that CFC's going to be out there. There's going to be a game wherever that match is. Let's go." And I'm like, "As long as it's not the first match." And of course, boom. It was the first match, so we got to figure out. Right. I, so I don't, you know, I, I'm still trying to. I have looked to see because uh, I would like to go out there, but yeah, you're right. Tickets are a little pricey out to the West Coast, so I don't really. I'm not interested in really going to Cal United or although San Diego's kind of cool, but what where were you looking to go? I don't know. I can. I mean, I can make up a reason to go to San Diego or, yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously the, the roots would have been, I mean, that, that'd be a cool one to go to for sure. I don't yeah. know. You could go to LA. It's not, I mean, oh yeah. Know. LA force. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of LA to be, to be honest. So yeah, I was hoping that, that, that roots game would be a little later on in the, in the year. I think I might try to get to Charlotte. Uh, I'm going to try to see when that, when that matches, that's on. That's in late. Well, no, I'm not going to go because I'll be out of town. But you know, that's great. So I. So who knows if I'm going to get to? <laughs> who knows if I'm going to get to a, a road match? Detroit is beckoning. That might be a good one. That's in. That's uh, in uh, early April. So I'll tell you the, the the one thing that's interesting, and I don't know how we're going to do this, but. You know, when I look at the schedule, there is an April 4th game at home against the Force. There's an April 11th game away at Detroit. And right smack dab in the middle of that, the 7th through the 9th, is round two of the U.S. Open Cup. So we're going to find out on the 29th, I believe, who we might find out who we're going to play or we might find out that we will play the winner of a certain first round match. Um, but that's going to be midweek in between 
the the home match against the Force in a road trip to Detroit. Um, it's going to be very interesting mm. to see, you know, what we do because you know what we've heard so far. I think Jeremy mentioned it when we talked to him, and I think some other folks have said we're probably going to have a smaller roster, and so those three games, um, you know, it, we could be talking about not just three games, but two road games if the if we get drawn away in the Open Cup. Uh, that could be an interesting week uh, to see really what this squad um, depth is and, and how the coaches handle that. Yeah, it, it's, def- it's definitely going to be interesting to figure out like, how much squad rotation is even possible and how much emphasis they put on the two league games. Yeah, I just uh, it's interesting, and especially given we don't know what that opponent's going to be. So mm-hmm. uh, trying to put the emphasis on one over the other could uh, be very, very interesting. Uh, but you know, it is. It is. A, I, was, I was just counting. Uh, I think there's like 14 games in here, including the uh, U.S. Open Cup match. And if you would win that one, there would probably be a second one. So maybe 15 matches mm-hmm. uh, between February 29th, which February 29th, uh, as of today, is like literally one month from now. So four weeks before you know when you have to have a full squad trained up, ready to go, and uh, we have we have signed, to my knowledge, two players. Two players. So two. we only need nine more to field. Actually, right. you don't need eleven to field the team. You, you know, need like, uh, well, I mean, I guess you. I think you can go out with nine. I think. I think. I think so. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I think we've so. done. We, we uh, my team has done that before, like <laughs> early on a Saturday morning or early on a Sunday morning when some players are still hungover. So I think we fielded nine before. <laughs> so. But yeah, that's crazy to think about. But it, it, what yeah. getting back to is like you're talking about, you know, 15 or 16 games over the course of uh, what is that, March, uh, over three months. That that's pretty good spacing. So hopefully it won't gas the legs too much. Yeah. Um, and you have to you have to but, think there's going to be a couple. See. There's going to be a couple of three friendlies in there around, you know, mixed in. Hopefully a couple. Well, we got to have some friendlies. That's another thing too, right? We got to have some friendlies coming up in the next four weeks. Yeah, you would think. I mean, you would think so. I can't believe the season starts in four weeks. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's you know, February 29th out in Oakland. So you're talking about a month and two days. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I think I I, I put out a, you know, I said Richard hey, we... Dixon and Phil D'Amico lead a yet to be named <laughs> team. <laughs> and nine players to remain to rename later. Hey, we're work, we're working on the spine, man. We're working on the spine. We got goalkeeper and we have a defender. Yeah, like, it's not so even the gonna... spine. Isn't Dixon a? He's an outside back, right? Doesn't he? Know, I think he's played some yeah, center back. Great. Yeah. Uh, so. Right now, right now he's a center back for lack of options. <laughs> right now he's playing all yeah. ten field positions. I mean, yeah, I'm about to say right now he's that he's a he's a hybrid. He's your he's your two through eleven hybrid. So that's the two eleven well, hybrid. That's... I hope they. I hope they have some orange slices at halftime. For Seriously, I mean that's gonna. You don't need a banana, not just orange slices. So I mean, you know that you know we've heard we've heard that there were six or seven, maybe even as many as eight players that they've agreed, and and so who knows where they are between Chattanooga and the offices of NISA and and the getting them giving federation approval. Who knows where they are? I really hope. You know, because I, I think I did the math, you know, last week we would need to, in order to get to 25 players, we would have needed to average like a, a player signing, a player announcement once every 1.8 days from now until 
you know, the, until like a couple weeks before the, or a week before the next, the first match. So I, you've got to think that they're going to be, there's going to be some information coming fast here. Now that we have the schedule, you've got to think that there's going to be some player announcements soon um, so that we can, we can figure out who the heck is going to be, you know, get, you know, catching the flight out well, to Oakland. To, to be, to be fair, um, uh, Chattanooga reporter Joseph Dykus, uh on his interview, I think it was his interview with the coach, did say that he wanted to have a roster solidified by, I think, maybe the 10th or 11th, but more likely it was going to be between the 11th and maybe like the 20th or something like that before a yeah. roster was solidified. Man, uh, that so, is, ins- which is, that just, is insane. It, I know. It's, it's ner- I mean, it's nerve wracking for you and I and, you know, frustrating all at the same time, but I, I can't imagine um, the position that coaches in by right. trying to put these things together yeah. and so many unknowns, yeah. so many unknowns. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's in, that's, that is insane, but I guess it's, you know, it's part of year one really. Right. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't, we don't foresee having this problem really going forward. It's just that you know, we've got this strange and this strange time period between the transition of an MPSL season where we could have, you know, uh, unlimited numbers of, uh, of players, uh, of foreign players. And now we have to have a set number and, and mostly domestic. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Hey, it's, it's nothing if not interesting. And it gives us something to look forward to and talk about over the next couple of weeks. So the other thing I, I noticed, and you know, this is something I think will be of interest to folks around Chattanooga. There is only one weekend, one game where uh, Red Wolves and us go head to head. We play a game at the same time. Um, that is, of course, I guess the U.S. Open Cup could be a second game if both of us draw a home game and we play it on the same night. Um, you know, at least until at least until the fall season kicks off. The only game that we've got is that May 23rd game against San Diego. I think they are at home against uh, Orlando City, so one of the ML the the MLS two teams uh, that would be there. So, you know, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it doesn't. It wouldn't bother me if all of our games were matched up because I know where I'm going to be in Finley. But um, some people might some people might be interested in that. But other than that, did you see the reveal, the schedule reveal with uh, with uh, our goalkeeper coach walking around town? Have you seen that? I, I did. I did see that. It was, that was very clever. Yeah, it was very clever. I thought it was nice. I thought it was nice. Well, um, well done, social, TFC social media. <laughs> I appreciated it. Uh, I appreciated it. So that's really the schedule. It looks like I don't know. You know we're ending in June, which is – you know, very strange, going to be very strange for us. That's normally when we're kind of really getting going. Yeah, it's and, kind of ramping up. Um, yeah. And so that's going to be strange. Although you got to imagine there's going to be some friendlies around, maybe one beginning. There might be some, in, you know, in I could, really not a lot of time to put them in the middle of the schedule. But I could also see uh, a friendly or two maybe in June or July uh, depending on, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting now, right? Because of that scheduling. I mean, when are European and other countries available, you know, teams from other countries available for friendlies yeah. in the middle of summer? Well, yeah. it's conveniently now we can accommodate yeah. that. 
And yeah, we, we can. I mean, theoretically, the players should be under contract yeah. at that time. So yeah, I, don't. Uh, I would think that those things would be made uh, easier to happen. So you, we might see a schedule, and I never even thought to ask this, that would be kind of back-loaded with friendlies as opposed to you know front-loaded with Big name friendlies. I think I think what we have to be careful of is you know when when does the season when is the season going to start? I mean, if it's mid to late August, maybe an early July friendly will be. I I don't know. I you know I I don't know. I mean, you got to give the guys a break somewhere. So, and I wish I thought to ask um, this question of Jeremy when he was on, and maybe I'll send him an email or or uh, try to talk with Owen about it. I you know the 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 contract term. I don't know that we know, you know, this is kind of a, a weird half season. So is their contract up at the end of this season or are they going to go through the the next fall spring season? Is it just a year from spring to spring, which is a little strange because that means their contract will be up in the middle of next year's season. I don't know how any of that's going to work. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone knows how any of that's going to work, but. Um, well, just something else for us to ask. Uh, yeah. I wish I wish I had thought about that when we had him on because I I think you're right. If the contract goes through the summer, then why wouldn't we play? You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. it makes sense. You, you'd want to give the guys a break at some point. Maybe you give them a break in the rest of June, and then they you pick up in July, and then you move right into the August season. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, or you could, I, but I bet they're going to want to keep. I mean, we're all speculating here, but if you want to keep them sharp over that break, then you could strategically schedule three to four friendlies over that off period. And sure. You're definitely I mean, sure. three or four friendlies over that period of time is definitely not too much. And maybe just enough to keep the legs going and keep them working out. So I assume that there will be something after that June 6th final game. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, the, well, yeah. the, t- the teams at the top of the sp- uh, spring table against the, against the team well one of the teams from the fall is now no longer a part of the league so i i don't know how, i don't know what that's going to be like i i reached out to to owen to see if he had any clue about what playoffs were going to be like or or is june 6th going to be it and i haven't heard back from him yet so the, you know we could have another match or two tacked on to the end of the the regular league season and then maybe a a friendly or two uh at some point um so anyway, anyway, it's more to think about, more to talk about, and more to more to whine and complain about on Twitter to the club. Awesome, we'll put that on the list. So that's really it with news. Um, did anything else that has come across your email or your desk that you think um, we should talk about? Apparently, I can save a lot of money by switching my insurance to Geico. Yeah, okay, that's great. They don't sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of sponsors, yes. Yeah, how about that Ghost Bros interview of the week? That's right. Now, what were you wanting to ask me about this interview with Hans Hobson? Oh, that's right. Thank you because I'd completely forgotten. So you had this interview came about because you just decided one day that you wanted to talk and see how the Tennessee State Soccer Association voted in the last. USSF election. So you, te- yes. I think okay. you. Okay, so I think. I think you texted me and said, I, "I'm going to do this," and you know what? Are the, what chances are? What chances are there that they're going to answer? And I was like, none, because you know I assume that <laughs> <laughs> that TSSA had all the transparency of USSF, which is you know it's about as transparent as as uh, this table. So 
Right, and and that's that's about how it went, right? It's like I just like everybody else on Twitter just assume that you're not going to get an answer out of anybody about anything when you start asking and and looking for accountability. And man, I couldn't have been proven more no, that wrong. That is not so that I is not what up, happened. Yeah, so I call up TSSA and I ask the I just ask who do I need to speak to? I'd like to find out how uh, the Tennessee State Soccer Association voted in the U.S. Um, or presidential soccer election. So uh, they're like, well, I think you would want to speak to Hans Hobson. I'm like, great, we'll give him my number. Well, the next day, sure enough, I get a phone call from Nashville, and it's Hans Hobson. And it, we talked for about 30 minutes, and just and you'll hear it on the interview, just as transparent about things as he can possibly be, and and really just a breath of fresh air, at least in you know soccer circles where we just you know think everything is all done behind uh, closed doors and curtains and you can't know anything. And, and this guy will, will really shed some light on, uh, on things that, that for me, I never even thought about. I mean, just a, just a great interview and just a guy that really comes across like having, and it's going to sound cliche, but really having the kid's best interest and and uh soccer's best interest at, at heart yeah I, I i enjoyed the talk i mean I, he is exactly what you said you know you, you said hey you're gonna don't plan on asking too many questions <laughs> that you're gonna we're gonna you're gonna ask a question and get and get more the information than than you would even hope for and that's that's really how the interview went i mean i think we asked five or six questions and and we we talked with him for a little for about an hour. So um, yeah, yeah, I would have even known the questions to ask to get those answers. <laughs> uh, that's how good his answers are. Yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah. I, I and I, I know he 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 dropped the name of somebody else at TSSA that we might want to speak with uh, when we had some questions about kind of the relationship between professional soccer and and TSSA. So we may reach out at some point and and continue this conversation either with Hans or with somebody else from from the association, but it was fun. And, uh, and again, and you, so you, you mentioned Dos Bros. Did you want to, do you want to just give the official plug? Oh, let's do the official plug. And this week, just like, just like every week, our Dos Bros interview of the week is going to be Hans Hobson. And Dos Bros always wants to remind you to eat local and ball local. And so without further ado, our interview with executive director, director of Tennessee State Soccer Association, Han Thompson. All right, and welcome back to the 423 Soccer Podcast. Tonight we have a very special guest from the Tennessee State Soccer Association. We have Hans Hobson, who acts as the executive director. Hans, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure being on here with you. Uh, I know right now you're commuting home, so uh, how's that national traffic? <laughs> it's uh, It's not that bad, but having done it for eight years now you just kind of get used to it so we'll try to only take up an hour of your uh, three-hour commute home with this so how's that sound <laughs> sounds good sounds good all right so as the uh, executive director at um, at tennessee state soccer association what what does that encompass like kind of give the, the listeners kind of what you do on a day-in day-out basis yeah it's uh it's overseeing all of our programs making sure that we have the right people in charge of that and just growing uh the game of soccer in the state of Tennessee so we are uh, Tennessee state soccer is one of fifty five state associations who are uh members of the united states youth soccer u s youth soccer is an affiliate of the United States soccer federation so um 
we're basically just one governing body in Tennessee that uh, manages youth soccer, uh, recreational soccer, so uh, travel soccer, recreational soccer, and then adult soccer. Um, so there's a lot of different programs that we have that, that are for our kids. We have about 50,000 youth players under the age of 18 across the state of Tennessee. We still rec- we still think that there's probably somewhere between 20 and 30,000 still out there that aren't registered with us. And what I mean aren't registered with us, they're, they're registered with, with typically our competitors, which are uh, YMCA's, uh, U.S. Club Soccer, AYSO, say, USSA. So there's all other uh, bodies that, that have soccer programs. And um, of those other bodies, uh, U.S. Club, say, USSA and AYSO are also members of the United States Soccer Federation. So some some of it in terms of registr- registration of youth players is somewhat special when you think about the federation and their, their governing body. But yeah, that's kind of what we do in, in a bit of a nutshell there. Well, it's crazy to think there's that many kids that are registered with the uh, uh, Tennessee State Soccer Association, and yet there's still so many more. And it's kind of weird to think about in a, in a uh, competitive sense, like, you know, it's not just it's not just you out there. There's, there's other organizations registering players. Uh, and that, uh, does that make it difficult on you to be able to kind of get a grasp? And like, if you're trying to, you know, put Tennessee soccer in the general direction and you're pulling in all three in opposite directions, it, I guess that makes life a little more difficult. It's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. And you know what I think is frustrating is, that we're all we're all trying to row in the same direction, but even our parent organization, the, the federation, sometimes rows in the opposite direction. And and some of that's not because they want to, but it's because of uh, legislation that prevents them from really being able to say we're going to acknowledge one group as the one soccer governing body. And let me to expand on that a little bit more to make it a little bit clearer. Um, for us, it's a confusing landscape. Moms and dads don't even know who. Tennessee, Tennessee State Soccer is until they actually get to a point where their their kids playing ODP many times, uh, the Olympic Developmental Program, or their kids playing in the State Cup. But I've got three young boys, ten, eight, and four, and they they all play and they all play for for local clubs. And and many of the parents don't know who we are, so that that makes it confusing. And then as you start to climb that ladder, and you're you're maybe making the change from recreational soccer into competitive soccer. Uh, you hear things like ECNL, you hear things like National League, and these are two two different leagues that compete against each other. One is a U.S. Youth League and one is a, a U.S. Club League, and we don't necessarily get along. So it, it, many people look at it and like, well, why can't the Federation just say, well, this is the way we're going to do it? And there, there's, there are some things that prevent that from happening, but, you know, truth be told, I'm a 74, and back when I was growing up, there was only one registration body, and that was U.S. Youth Soccer. We had somewhere between four and five million ch- uh, children under the age of 18 registered with U.S. Youth Soccer and the 55 state associations. And so the pathway was clear. You won a state championship, you went to a regional championship, and then you ended up at a national championship. So um, everybody knew kind of the pecking order and, and, and where you went. And then they started another organization. And so a bunch of these other organizations popped up. And you know, made the landscape pretty muddy and pretty confusing to be honest. So, take me as a as a seventy four, as you put it. Uh, so, <laughs> what what is what does that look like with, with you? Like, where did you grow up at? Like, what system were you in, and that sort of thing? And 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 bring us up to like where you are currently. Um, I mean, in your uh, ascension of soccer power. 
<laughs> I, well, I feel like I've got a pretty decent lens. I mean, it's no different than, than many of our professional coaches, I think. Um, I know a lot of people down in your area that are, are my age and have, have kind of been through it at the high school level or at the club level coaching. And um, I grew up in Virginia. I was a, uh, I, I grew up playing recreational soccer at the age of 12, I think I started, 11 or 12. Um, jumped on a competitive team when I was about 13 or 14 and loved it. And you know, we just traveled all over. And it was kind of moms and dads coaching at the time. My first uh, uh, professional slash coach was a guy from Argentina. And then I ended up with a coach from Mexico. Um, I ended up going on and playing uh, collegiately at Emory and Henry College, a small little division three school in uh, Southwest Virginia. Um, played against a guy that uh, is from in, in uh, Chattanooga, Matt Yelton. Matt Yelton and I played against each other. Matt played at King College, so shout out to Matt. And um, and it was good. It was a fun time growing up. But like I said, you know, I, I, I grew up and uh, I wasn't a good enough player to play ODP and knew what it was. But, I mean, only the best of the best got there. Um, our team wasn't good enough to, to compete in the finals of the Virginia State Championship. Um but but I knew what it took to get there. And, and again, if you won a, a state championship, you're pretty darn good. And if you went on further, you're pretty darn good. Fast forwarded, I was um, I became an assistant coach at, at Milligan College um, and then at Carson Newman College. And I was director of coaching for uh, a couple clubs in Knoxville that uh, uh, what was then the Deodore Impact is now SD Alliance. And I ended up at KI, Knoxville Football Club and ended up taking over as the, the full-time director of coaching in Brentwood, Tennessee, and had three little boys, and my wife said, hey, enough's enough, let's travel. <laughs> a position to open up at the state office, and that's really um, what made me jump into that. I was like, all the time, like, what can I do to help make soccer better? How do I help it grow? And and I think many times, it's, it's, as I was thinking about, I was an assistant director in Knoxville. I was like, oh, I would do things this way. I would do things that way. And it would be so frustrating. And so my passion finally led me to, well, I got to be the guy in charge. I got to be the guy in charge. And that led me to Brentwood to where I was in charge. And then you start to realize, oh, there's a whole lot of political, you know, BS that you, that you got to sort with. And it's, it's so many times I hear people say, well, why is it this way? And they get so frustrated. And you know, even a couple of years ago with the election, it's like, well, our men's national team, we didn't do well. well who were you going to point the finger at? Was it the coach? Was it the president? You know, and Sunil Galati had done a really good job of making sure that, you know, the, the financials were kept up at, at U.S. Soccer Federation, at Soccer House and everything. But I think because there was always this, hey, they're, they're doing pretty good on the women's side, or really good on the women's side, and decent on the, on the men's side, we're continuing to show improvements until, you know, we stepped on that uh, Trinidad and Tobago atomic bomb right there if you will there really wasn't an, an issue and then it's like something's got to change and i think that's when people all of a sudden jumped out there and said hey what do we got to do and it, as somebody sitting there kind of seeing a seeing this whole thing unfold it's like wow it's kind of been that way for a while just nobody ever really was able to step up and say we need to do this we need to do that so you alluded to this hans a little bit um but you could could you talk for the for folks uh that might not know what the really the kind of the overarching structure, and this is a podcast in and of itself, I realize, but the the structure of U.S. <laughs> U.S. soccer, and maybe as is from from your vantage point, you know, what do you see as some of the strengths and weaknesses of that structure? Yeah, I, the interesting thing about U.S. soccer is, you know, they're based out of Chicago. Um, they're in an older building, the Soccer House. I don't know if people are, are, are up to date and have heard recently, but um, you know, Dan Flynn 
was in charge. And Dan Flynn, he's a soccer guy. He grew up playing. You know, he he he, he was doing a, a great job with things. And then all of a sudden, things kind of change. There's a rumors uh, about him retiring and somebody else taking over. Well, um, it happens to be the brother of our national team coach, who is kind of like the second in command right now. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of people in soccer house saying like, look, we don't want to work for Burhalter. So they've done a search and Dan actually, uh, instead of kind of taking a year to retire and kind of get his, his one song, if you will, was asked to retire a little bit earlier, as I understand it. And so they're still looking for somebody. They're still trying to find the right person, but I think that they're, they don't have a real good grasp. You talk about like the negatives of what I see right now on the outside. I don't think they have a real good grasp of the workers there. I mean, I think, it's about understanding your, your people. And these are people that really want to be around soccer. They're young, they're energetic, and they think that simply moving away from soccer house and giving them a new office that, that's bright in downtown Chicago with windows and, you know, a cappuccino machine is going to fix it. And I don't think that's going to do it. I think that they, they're missing the heart of their people. Right now, how many cappuccino I, machines do they need to make sure that, <laughs> that we qualify for the next World Cup? That's what exactly, I'm exactly. Yeah, quite a few, I'm sure. But um, it, it's even changing the the mindset of the national team staff lived wherever they wanted to live. Now everybody has to live in Chicago, and so all of a yeah. sudden you're kind of is that the right choice? You know, I don't know if it is or isn't, but at the same time, they're going, if I've got the right coach, then you know, why do I need to worry about them being in Chicago? So others may disagree with me, but I just, I think it's not like a little thing. I mean, I really pride myself, at least in our office on, you know, first knowing the heart of the people that work with me, you know, what, what, what motivates them, what gets them up, what makes them go to work every day. And I, and I can say this, you know, we went through this two years ago, talking about the mission and vision at Tennessee State Soccer Association. Our mission is to make a difference, to lead, to serve, to inspire. That's, that's, that's our foundation. That's our focus. That's our filter for what we do every day. That's what gets me up out of bed every day to go into work. And then our, our, our vision, the, the the flag on the hill is to be the premier state association now for partnerships, promotions, and pioneering the next movement of soccer. And and that that's that's where I that's the the focal point trying to get my team at eight. That's where we want to go each and every day. And so when you look at the federation. You know, you talk about their vision, and it's to make soccer the preeminent sport in the U.S., right? So that, that's that's awesome. I want it to be that. But there's also, is everybody in that office motivated? There's a lot of people when I say in that office. You've also got national team staff, and it, it's a big group. And have they done what they need to do structurally, you know, to do that? Uh, I think that's I think that's the, the hard part. So I, I don't know that there's – I think – there are the people in place. If I'm, if I'm saying negative, that's kind of the negative. I'm talking about the positive. I think the positive is that there's a lot of people there that are motivated and love soccer and want to be able to do it. It's just going to take the right person to come in there and kind of lead it. There are people making next to nothing working in that office that I know of, and they're just passionate, passionate people, and they do it because they love soccer. So um, it's just it's it's trying to find the person that's going to going to help with that. But in terms of the structure and everything. Um, it is a little bit confusing. I mean, I think they've, it, it's like any, 
the other you know, governing body where you have elections and things. Uh, there, there's a president, there's a vice president, there is a, a uh, governing body that reviews things. There's an office that Dan Flynn was the CEO, if you will, and then there are several people underneath him that, that are in charge of different divisions. Um, those people that are, are part of that board of directors that, that, that hire these people um, are voted on by a delegation. And so that's made up. And this is where people really don't, don't understand who votes for it. Cause, cause we get phone calls every day when, when that elect, like the, that election where, where it was, Sunil was stepping down and we had 10 candidates up. Everybody's calling going, you need to vote for this person. And I was like, that, that's great. But at the end of the day, our youth vote was 1% of that overall vote. And our, and we are a dual state. So not all states are dual. When I say dual, we have youth and we have adults. Our adult vote was 2%. So we made up about 3.3% of the overall vote. And so to explain kind of how that vote's made up, you have a youth council, you have an adult council, you have a professional council, an athlete's council, and then there's other members. And other members would include like life members, um, national board of directors, and past presidents. So when you start thinking about it, there are a total of 573 votes. I'm looking at the numbers here real quick. Make sure I get this right. 573 votes. Of the youth council, we have 313 votes. On the adult council, there's 196. The professional council has 16. The athletes council has 12. And the other life members, there's 36 individuals. So they're each going to get a vote. Now, there's a multiplying factor to make sure that everybody's vote carries the proper amount of weight. So that multiplying factor for the youth is one, for the adults is 1.6, for the professionals. Remember, I said the professional council has 16 people. Their vote is 19.56, each of those votes. For the athletes, their vote is 20.33, and the athletes council is made up of 12 people. So you can very quickly see how, and then you've got 36 that round out the other members, you can very quickly see how an athletes council is weighted just as strong as a youth council, but you have 12 people casting that vote. The youth council, going back to what I said before, you have U.S. youth, which is 55 state associations representing 3.6 million youth players. You have U.S. club that is thrown in there, and U.S. club has several hundreds of thousands of people. They're making up part of that vote. You have AYSO, you have state soccer, and U.S. youth of all of those is the, is the largest. But my state gets thrown into that youth council with 50,000 players, and we make up 1% of that vote. So you know what you're doing? You're justifying, you're justifying like me berating Stu Holden every time I get a chance on Twitter. <laughs> and, well, and, 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 and for that, I'll thank you. Everyone, Stu is one of the members on that athlete's council. I mean, there's others too. And I, I think what I sent, I sent you guys a, 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 a document. Anybody wants to, if you Google United States Soccer Federation annual general meeting, the general meeting this year, it's uh, typically held in February. It's every year. And this is where elections take place. This year, they will be doing an election for the vice president. Cindy Parlow, Memphis native. Yeah, yo, Cindy. Um, we will actually be nominating her again. She's fulfilling the second part of a term where someone stepped out. And then a guy by the name of John Mata, who is with the United States Adult Soccer Association. But, you know, when you, when you, going back to what you said, Stu has basically one vote of the athletes council and that vote that he's casting is 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 weighted with twenty point three at twenty point three three, and then all all of the athletes typically will get together, and many times you'll see the athletes vote as a block, or even the professional council vote as a block. 
So then you think about the youth council. We don't even, we talk to one another, but everybody forms their own opinion. And so many of the state associations, if we could get everybody on the same page and say, we're going to vote for this person because they're going to support the youth, it would help. But then again, at the same time, the professional and the athletes are probably going to outweigh it because the professionals are one-fourth, the athletes are one-fourth. So ideally, if you get the youth and the adult all on the same page, but that's, that's very, very rarely ever happens. And, and you went down this road a little bit, and uh, so so let's let's go ahead. And uh, you and I talked about it back. You and I spoke back in the summer uh, briefly, or maybe it was like the end of the summer. But we yeah. kind of talked about the way that ten, that uh, Tennessee State soccer voted and who you got, how that kind of played out for you guys. And I found it to be a fascinating uh, look into how that process went for you guys, like the first round, second round, and third round of voting for uh, the president. Yeah. No, it was, it was really interesting because even the, um, the people that reached out to us before, most every candidate reached out to us. Um, I think the only exception was Eric Winona. He was the only one that did not reach out to us. He showed up in our regional meeting the night before the election. We had a regional meeting and we were in there. He came in and he spoke to everybody asking for, for his vote. He seemed a bit dejected then. I was, I, I, I kind of sense that he could, feel like maybe he wasn't getting the support that he wanted. That's just that's how it felt for me. That's just my opinion. I don't know if, if others felt that, that same way. Um, we had, had talked to, to everybody, and Kyle Martino, we thought, was, was going to be a good choice. We, we liked his platform. Um, the board talked about it. We discussed it at length, um, and we talked to him several times. And he called us several times. You know, he initiated. I really want to talk to you. I want to know what's going on. I want to. I want to fix the youth environment. What can we do to make it right for you guys? And a lot of great ideas that we thought were going to work. So we went into it gung ho. We felt like a lot of people around us were were wanting some change. You know, you heard some people maybe wanting Eric, some people wanting Kyle, and then that first part, that first election cast, the vote vote cast happened, and bam, Kyle wasn't even close. Neither was Eric. I mean, I think Kyle barely narrowed out Eric, you know, and I was like, whoa. And I think we stuck with him on that second part of the election, and it just, you could see all of a sudden people started shifting, and it came, it became between two people, you know? It came, it was between Carlos um, and, oh gosh, I can't, I can't remember her name. Thank you, Kathy Carter. So it was between those two. And there were a lot of people that were really concerned with Kathy and the relationship that she had with some marketing and the MLS and the feeling that perhaps that was, you know, a person that had been in the back pocket of MLS. And so um, you saw people quickly kind of negotiating with other people. Hey, what do you, what do you think? And, and talking and stuff. And I think more people realized the, 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 can, the soccer candidate that they wanted, the Eric Ronaldo's or the Cal Martino's wasn't going to happen. And so then it became, in my opinion, and I don't want to speak for anybody, and this is how Tennessee, in our opinion, it was, we felt that Carlos was a better choice over Kathy. And, and that next vote, I believe it was either the third or the fourth vote, um, Carlos won. And, and it was just, you could see people just, we don't want her to get it, or we don't want somebody else to get it. And so at that point, it was like, do you, you want to go with that? I don't know. You know, looking at it right now, has he done enough? Um, I think that many on our board would probably be like, no, I don't think that he's he's maybe stood up for what we wanted him to do or that he's done enough. There was a promise that there was going to be a dollar coming back. For every player that is registered with Tennessee State Doctor Association, 
we have to pay the Federation a dollar. So basically every year, um, there's $50,000 going to the Federation. And so the question is, what did they use that for? Back in the day when the Federation did not have the ability to exist because they didn't have any money, that's how they made their money. That's how they were able to form their budget. So the state associations and youth soccer funded that budget. Now, they, they, 94 happens, they host a World Cup, and millions upon millions of dollars came in. And so they don't need us anymore, technically, but that dollar still goes in. And that was something that Carlos had said, I'll look into it and I'll see if, if we can refund that, that dollar. And that hasn't happened. So I think there are a lot of state associations that are, that are frustrated. We really felt that he was going to stand up for us. And, and, and a lot of people, I think, are frustrated that they feel like he didn't do that. So switching gears a little bit, because like I said, I think we could probably spend, Todd and I could probably listen to <laughs> you for an hour about just just what you talked about the last election, the election coming up. But switching a little bit to one of the, the main missions of Tennessee soccer is is youth. Um, you know, what, what do you think are some of the biz- biggest obstacles facing uh, youth soccer, specifically in the state of Tennessee? That's a great question. I think, you know, I think it's not only just Tennessee, I think it's everywhere, but it's the sport itself is supposed to be easy to play. I mean, all you need is a ball and some gold. But it's a, a pay-to-play model here in the United States. And we've really more than professionalized it to where, you know, it, it's not affordable for, for many people. And is that something that we can change? You know, I, I don't know. I think there are many groups that are, 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 are trying to make it to where, you know, there's an academy here and, and, and maybe the better kids are going to be able to, to find free soccer and then the townships, you know, maybe that the, the cost is, is what it is or it goes down. But trying to make soccer affordable, it's hard. You know, I mean, many of these clubs also exist because they have to have um, tournaments. You know, their budgets don't make if they don't have tournaments. Teams' budgets don't make and coaches don't stick around if, if you can't pay them. You know, that's, that's kind of the way it is. And so many times people are like, you know, everywhere else in the world, and it's like, well, yes and no. I mean, if you go to other places in the world, soccer is done differently. I had a friend that just went over – uh, to Holland, and uh, they they took a team over there. They played a team there, and everything is done around the school. So if you're in their academy, if you will, their their 12 and under academy, they basically get up and they go and they're playing. They're they're doing soccer in the morning, and it, it may be something fun where it's speed agility. You know, they may play basketball to to kind of do a little bit of cross training, if you will. Then they go to school, and then they come back, and in the evening it's soccer. And then that academy team is around the first team when they play games on the weekend. So it's part of the culture, you know, it's, it's embedded in there. And so I think, you know, you guys in Chattanooga, you've got a pro team. There's one here in Nashville, but an MLS team, and there's an academy that, that they are, are, are starting up. They, they just had an, one of our 12 under teams went down and played in the MLS VA in, in Atlanta here recently. So some of that, that wasn't actually an example of one that's funded. They took the kids, they put them on a Greyhound. They took them down to Atlanta, paid for their meals, placed for their room and board and everything, and then brought them back. Not the moms and dads, but the kids. Moms and dads could go, but they had to go separate. So that's an example of at least where an MLS team is paying for the ones that can do it. It doesn't take care of everybody. Um, there are some other things that are in the works. There's some partnerships possibly in the future that um, I can't speak of right now, but people with some very, very deep pockets that are trying to figure out ways to make other programs affordable. For example, the Olympic Developmental Program, that used to be the way kids were identified for the national team. 
our our kids in our living developmental program just got back from an event in Florida this past weekend, and it was free. It was free. To, now they had to get down there, but they didn't have to pay for the event. The kids were identified in Tennessee to go down there, and they played East, other ECNL teams and other developmental academy teams, and our ODP teams beat all of them. So it was a great weekend of competition and stuff. Um, the idea is we want to get Federation scouts to come watch those games because in Tennessee, we don't have a developmental academy program. So when you start talking about national team scouts going and watching DA developmental academy games, um, we don't have teams that are actually able to participate in them. So th- this ODP thing is a good thing. And then being able to maybe even reach the inner cities. We have a program in Memphis, uh, in Nashville. There is an operation, I wish I always get the name wrong, down in Chattanooga that you guys have that I believe CFCA um, started. And it's an inner city program. It's a school program. And so it's basically bringing a guy. We have a guy by the name of Darren Labor. He goes into the school system. He's teaching soccer to the phys ed teachers and giving them a program. And so it's exposing them, exposing, you know, a lot of these kids that maybe don't necessarily see soccer all the time to soccer and then trying to come up with a lasting program to where maybe we can create teams that play in local leagues, recreational leagues, school leagues, if you will. We handle their insurance and, and so on and so forth. So just kind of reaching the right kids, explaining our grasp, making it fun, knowing that kids that we have out there, maybe they're not going to be the next national team member, but what if we make them, you know, the next fan for for, 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 for Chattanooga, CFC, or for the Red Wolves, or for Nashville SC, or Memphis 901. You know, what if, what if that group is going to be the next generation that's like, man, I really enjoyed soccer. My kids are going to play. That's what we're looking to do. So you brought you brought up the clubs. That was kind of my next question. You know, in two thousand and eight, I mean, we we had some soccer teams before. There was the Chattanooga Express, and I'm and I right now I'm blanking on any other teams in the state that we had. But in two thousand nine, CFC came around. Soon after, uh, Nashville FC, uh, Memphis came around. Uh, Inter Nashville is another uh, MPSL team. Uh, Knoxville has had MPSL teams. So from 2009 to now, we've had all these teams, which have resulted in, as you as you mentioned, like you know, four professional soccer teams in the state: uh, Memphis 901, Nashville FC, Chattanooga FC, and then the Red Wolves, that that other team in Chattanooga. Um, what has that done? You've, I think you mentioned. We're not, we're not biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've mentioned another couple of things. You mentioned uh, Operation Get Active with the uh, the CFC Foundation and CFC Academy, uh, kind of going into the schools. What what has the growth of amateur, you know, MPSL and professional soccer in the state done for you and done for TSSA and and its ability to fulfill its mission? You know, I think we're still trying to figure it out. To be honest with you, I think. Um, We've done some things with uh, Operation Get Active and CFC, CFCA. We've done some stuff with 901. There's another team out in, oh gosh, there's another team in Knoxville. There's another team in Johnson City. So we've got our share, you know, of groups. Uh, even the MLS group where we're working on finalizing a partnership with them as we move forward. So I think all of these are great opportunities because it allows our kids to be able to see the game at a higher level higher than, than anything that, that sometimes they might be able to be exposed to. So, I mean, if you're in Johnson City and you you don't have an MLS team near you, you know, what do you do? Well, you go watch the Otters. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's their closest team. And it's a darn good team. And it gives an opportunity for many of the local coaches to play at a, at a, at a level, too. So, it just, it's growing the game. 
the interesting thing, I thought as, as that happened, you know, maybe our numbers would grow. We've actually kind of flatlined the last three years. When I first came on board about eight years ago, we were at 36,000 youth players. And so we've kind of jumped up and we've been in between 50 and 55. We, we actually showed a bit of a decrease. I think the decrease though is this, it's all the different groups out there. And there's no way for me to go, Hey, us club, how many do you have? AYSO, how many do you have? And, and then even the YMCAs. And so we're all on different pages and we're kind of doing soccer differently. And that's just where I wish that, you know, there was a way to maybe say, look, I, I don't care about the competition. The competition does, doesn't matter to me. Um, I'm going to do soccer the way that we do it because we want to grow it here in Tennessee. I think the thing that frustrates me many times is you got these other groups like a U.S. club, and it's no offense to them because, again, they, they, they have some great programs, but they're based out of Middle Beach, South Carolina. So in my mind, there's not really an investment in soccer in Tennessee. I go back to what we were talking about before, about investing in the schools. We have our mission is to make a difference, not only in Nashville, but, but where our offices are based, to make a difference in Memphis, make a difference in Chattanooga, make a difference in Johnson City, the entire state. So it's frustrating to us when there are clubs out there and it's like, okay, well, I want to do this because this is a little bit cheaper or because they get to cut corners over here. Risk management, you know, all those things, they matter to us. And so it's frustrating for me when I look out there and I go, not everybody does it the same way. Um, but that, that growth in terms of pro soccer, it's awesome. It's awesome because I see kids wearing all these different jerseys and talking about their coaches playing. So that's what we need. We need that to continue to grow and, and, and every program across the state to continue to flourish. Yeah, I think you mentioned it's interesting you Sorry, mentioned Sorry, I got on a bit of a soapbox. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh and you you mentioned there that Tennessee numbers you think have kind of flattened out. I think there was a study just a couple of years ago that showed a, a, a decline in the number of players, uh, I believe. And so I don't I don't it sounds like what we're seeing here is something that is similar to what we're seeing kind of a, across the country. I, do you have any reason I mean, you you kind of gave maybe a reason, but is it do you think it's the pay to play? Do you think it's that maybe we're we're not we're not counting everybody, <laughs> as you said. It it can be a little difficult to. I, I, no, I, I think that's I think that's a big part of it. I don't think that we're counting everybody accurately. I think we're just spreading the numbers out. You know, I mean, I think that there, there is growth in the number of kids that are playing, but I also think there's other things going on. The only two areas that I've heard in the studies that I've read is ice hockey is growing and lacrosse is growing. Yeah. So when you start thinking about lacrosse in Tennessee, lacrosse is grown. I think rugby is increasing too. You know, I look in our area and rugby's catching on. I think people are scared to put their kids in football, you know, concussions and uh, so soccer continues to be, Oh, I think it's safe, you know, and especially because we've got policy in, in place that says 12 and below can't head the ball. You don't get to head the ball until you're 13 and older and you're playing 11 v 11. So I think that's helped our game. I mean, I think that was a smart move by uh, U.S. soccer. Some people be like, oh, I can't believe it. But at the same time, I mean, these are little fragile kids. And right. The, the ball's really not popping up there anyway. So do they need to be heading the ball? So I think that was a good move. I think also kids are different now. You know, and I, if I'm talking about the next step and what we need to do as Tennessee State soccer, and even USU, they're talking about the health and wellness. You know, being able to talk about a sport where there's constant movement, you know, I mean, it's not a sport like others, I won't name them, but other sports where maybe you're standing still a little bit, yeah. but there's constant movement. The practices are active and engaged and, and you're moving around. So that's, that's something that we want to, to put up on a pedestal and say, look, we do it different. You know, we, we don't have lines, laps and lectures. We have coaching. We're one of a handful. And by handful, I mean like 
three to four states that actually require our competitive coaches to go through coaching education. And the Federation loves it. They're like, you guys need to, we need to do this with everybody. And it, we just felt like we needed to stand for something and make sure that if you're going to pay to have your kids trained, then these coaches need to have some formal education. And so they're actually going through, you know, the Federation education. But I also think that there are kids, when I, when I go out and I look, I feel like I don't see kids looking as healthy anymore. And, mm-hmm. and, and you're seeing some kids that maybe are a little bit overweight or look like they haven't been out running around on the soccer field. And I think that's the disappointing thing is, they're doing a lot more uh, behind the video game or looking at phones. And so I think, you know, just society and what we're, we're doing, you know, maybe even a lack of parenting in some aspects to where we're just so busy, you know, our, our kids aren't doing it. And then I, I think then that, that last piece of it is, is it also so expensive that people can't afford it? I mean, I, like I said, I've got three kids in it and I help out as an assistant coach to help pay for it. My wife doesn't work. She stays at home and, and homeschools my, my, our boys. And, um, you know, it's, it's a balance, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, it is a sacrifice, uh, to be able to, to pay for that. So, you know, we, we do our best to, to make it work. Wait a minute. Did you just say sacrifice? We sacrifice. <laughs> I thought you said sacrifice. I, I like, I like it. I might have to add that to my vocabulary. <laughs> I, it's, it's probably just my bad reception where I'm at. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> uh, so if you had to target a demographic, how is, or to target a demographic, how is TSSA doing getting uh, kids in minority demographics? Uh, and, and the first one that comes to mind is the Hispanic population. Uh, I, I know being a product of uh, the Northwest Georgia area, we had a huge uh, population of, of immigrants and, and they went unnoticed for years and are just now starting to get the attention that they deserve. How, how's uh, TSSA uh, getting at that problem? No, I, I think it's still a problem. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that we do a, a good enough job right now, to be honest with you. I mean, that's, we are actually looking to hire a director of coaching and I'm, I'm trying to maybe even expand the, the job a little bit into where it's a club development manager to where we're maybe helping clubs that aren't that aren't as big as some of the clubs, you know, like a, a CFCA that has professionals and understand that's not a majority of our clubs. That's probably less than 10% of the clubs in Tennessee. So what I'm looking to do is see if I can maybe hire somebody that can help with that, help with their coaching education, but is that minority and hopefully is a, a Spanish speaker. I don't want that to be the only qualification, but I, I, I've got to do that. I mean, it, it, it's funny. My wife is always, I have people come up to me and start speaking Spanish all the time. And although I might look like I'm Spanish, my wife's like, you got to take the Rosetta Stone. I'm like, no, I know. But um, that is a, that is a thing. That is a, that is a fruit on the tree that we're missing, I think. And, and many states talk about that. Like, how do we, how do we do that? The other part is, I think honestly, right now, if, I, if I'm, if I'm really reaching at, at the core of things and the people that I've talked to, because again, I, I talk about the heart a lot with people. What really is going on? I think people are scared. I mean, if you look at the political climate in this country right now, so you know, you're hearing if you're Hispanic and you're hearing talk about walls and things like that. Do I want to give Tennessee State soccer my information? You know, and that's not so not that I'm a Republican or that I'm a Democrat. Throw that crap out the window. I'm talking about soccer right here. I, in order for me to be able to do what I do, and Tennessee State Soccer, when you sign up with us, right, the club pays us either $10 for a recreational player, $20 for a player that's under the age of 12 or below, but competitive, or $30 if you're 13 and older. For that, we 
take care of the club's director and officer insurance. We take care of the club's liability insurance. And then we cover every player that's registered with us with accident insurance. And what does that mean? That means that the accident insurance will cover anything that takes place on that soccer field. So your child goes out there and tears their ACL, $20,000 surgery, let's say. Mom and dad just lost their job. We become the primary insurance all of a sudden. Or they have they have their insurance. We're secondary. Moms and dad insurance only covers $10,000 of a $20,000 surgery. We kick in. They pay a $500 deductible, and then we pay 80% of what's left over. That's probably the biggest benefit that we have when we talk about accident insurance and player insurance. So that piece right there can be very beneficial to, you know, a diverse, lower uh, socioeconomic uh, group of players, you know, and, and, and families that are, are struggling, but they want to play soccer. So we're looking at it going, that's a, that's a, that's a win. That's a, that's a good thing. But in order for me to offer that, I need to have information. And I don't need to know, you know, are you are you a legal citizen? I just need to know your addresses so we can get stuff to you when that happens. But I do, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say there are some people that are like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm a bit scared. I don't want to do that. We have that problem in our adult association. We have that problem with some of our youth. But I, I do, I have seen in my eight years an increase in the number of male Hispanic teams in our leagues and at our state cup. So that I, I'm very happy to see and happy to say, you know, so I don't know if it, it's an overall increase. Um, we've not been able to kind of, you know, ask that question and put that, you know, in the, the, the information that we get. But at least what we're seeing, this, the, the female portion, the female side of it, I, I haven't seen. I see, I see a few more, but not whole teams, you know. But we, we see a, a tremendous amount of Hispanic teams coming to our state cup now that are qualifying and are great players. But some of it's also educating them along the way about what we do and what we don't. Let me uh, just so I, I know we've we've kept you on here for almost going on an hour now. Uh, but let me let me give you the all powerful wand, and you can where you can make anything happen. Give me one to two things at the state level that you would like to see happen in the next five years, and give me one or two big things, or maybe three big things, when you look at the national landscape and things that you would just be like, that's got to change, like right now. Gosh, I think the biggest thing is if if we can really get this. Uh this school project going. Uh, the guy that I mentioned before, Darren Lavers, is is doing a great job. It's uh, he's got this thing called the, the the virtual director of coaching, the VDSC. He's got some stuff done in Chattanooga and across the state. It's really taken hold in Memphis and Nashville, and it, it's already kind of what Operation Get Active is doing. He's done some stuff with them. We want it to go across the state, and I really feel like if we can get into the schools, I mean, you think about you know all the all the sports that got in the schools and, 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 and did really well when they were just starting. I mean, you look at tennis and how a tennis court in every, in every community was, was kind of helping us to, to, to have the next Pete Sampras, the next John McEnroe, you know? So if I can get the school thing going, that would be number one. I think number two is the, the MLS comes to, to Tennessee, not just Nashville, but to Tennessee, uh, trying to partner with them to bring futsal courts. And they've done this in, in Georgia, They've done this in some other states, but bringing, you know, are there some tennis courts or basketball courts that, you know, aren't being used? And can you make it a multi-use courts where it's a sport court, you know, and you, you cut out some goals and either ends where kids can go and play futsal in some of these inner city neighborhoods um, and, and, and make it so that the game's real simple and then be able to try and 
plug and play those kids. But ultimately, all we want to do is create create it so every kid understands and has been able to kick a soccer ball and, and make that a choice. Because I feel like many kids, you know, that may not even be a choice for them. They're just kind of like, yeah, no, I'm just going to play basketball or, 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 or football. You know, so can soccer be at least one of those choices? And the only way that that's going to happen is for us to start at the youth level. Um, at the national level, um, it's a big one. And, and my, my, my heart, heart's desire would be some way that we could just unify the youth landscape so that everybody finds a way to work together uh, for the good of the game. And I've picked up the phone and said, look, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight in Tennessee with your organization. How do we work together? And it always starts as a good conversation and then somehow it ends up not being. And what, what, why? A lot of times it's finances and who gets to register the player numbers. And, you know, we, We've tried to figure out different ways. We work with all, we have more states touch us than any other state of the 55. And we figured out ways to work with all of them because, you know, the, there's a club down in Chattanooga right now that's not registered with us. And they have had the opportunity to register with U.S. Club or, or, or Georgia Youth Soccer. But at the same time, they want to come back because they know that we care about them, you know, and that's, that's what we want at the end of the day. We want people to know we care about them. We want people to know that we care about their kids. And, you know, if we can grow it, we will. But I think there's going to have to be some egos at the upper level that are going to have to get out of the way. And um, and maybe it's a change in leadership, too. I don't know that the right leader is up there. So, I mean, I, I would say two things there would probably be you know, getting some of the egos uh, in the youth landscape, the leadership out of the way and then maybe trying to find that right leader for our organization that can carry us forward. And we've got a World Cup coming up and that is a great opportunity for us to be able to to harness a lot of energy to move us forward. So, you know, just making sure we have the right people in place to to do something when that time comes is going to be huge. You know, we're going to have to qualify for that first, right? (laughs) You know, the great thing about the one here is Oh, the uh, ones here, yeah. In Canada, are automatic qualifiers, you know. So we yeah. we we're, we're in that one, you know. So. Yeah, I, I thought you were talking about twenty two. I was like, well, you know, we still have the little problem of qualifying. Which, right. Fingers crossed there. Fingers crossed there. You know, but yeah. even, having said that, I knew even you know as far back as twenty ten, you know, thinking about qualifying, I knew there was going to come a day that we didn't qualify for whatever right. reason, and I was always. I didn't know when it was going to happen or what was going to transpire, but you know when it happened, I was really interested to see like was there enough attention in the sport that anyone even cared that heads would roll and there would be substantial mm-hmm. change. And at this point, I still say it's up in the air whether I would say there was a small amount of change, but uh, I, I'm not sure uh, it was the big change that we all wanted. And you know what? And maybe right. that's not always the best thing. Uh, we'll, we'll only time will tell. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the only thing I would add to that is just that, you know, I think there has been, there's been change, but, you know, is it the right change? And coaching education has changed. We've got, we're a melting pot. So you look at, at, at what's happened over the years, and I feel like, you know, well, are we going to go the German approach? Are we going to go the, the Dutch approach? Oh, hey, what about Belgium over here? And so it's like, we haven't been able to figure out what, what does America want to do with soccer? And, and we're peeping behind everybody else's curtain. And I think, you know, for once they're trying to come up with their own way, and that's really 
with the coaching education, the 4v4, the 77, the 9v9, the 11v11 grassroots courses. They've redone the D, the C, the B, the A. Um, and that's really, I think that's really aimed at making sure we got the right people, you know, coaches doing the right thing. And it's one reason that we put such a priority on it for the competitive coaches. We want people to be taught the right way, or at least everybody to be on the same page. But for years, people have gone to those courses and they've gone back and they've taught how they wanted to teach. A quick follow-up to that. Do, do coaches in the state of Tennessee, and, and and I don't know if you have anything to do with referees, but do those do those individuals have easy enough access to uh, to the education that they need to to improve? Referees or coaches? Uh, it, we'll start with coaches. I think coaches do. I mean, it's just whether or not they're they're able to read the information. I think communication is our biggest issue. You know, so getting out that communication in terms of hey here are the courses, and then what do you do after that? And I think that's where they've got to be plugged into a really good club uh, that, that's going to help them to continue growing and evolving as coaches. And, and some clubs have it, some clubs don't. depends on really the area where you are. Referees, a lot of the referee stuff just changed, and that's a whole other podcast, if you will. But I will say the Federation is actually kind of grabbing hold of that and putting a lot of online education out there for the referee, and I think that's good. They've also kind of modeled it after the coaching courses to where they have referee grassroots. You go, you spend four hours out on the field going through different mechanics and things like that. But, you know, some of that also comes back to how do we keep them? You know, so we want referees to get better. We want them to have resources, but, you know, they get certified to go out there and, and some coach cusses them and they're done, you know. So we're, we're if I'm not mistaken, I think this is right, we lose about 45% of our referees every year, we have to reload. Wow. And that's that is and, incredible. And, and the feedback is just that those people just, they're, they're, they're done. They're, they're bullied. They, they, they can't take it. You know, they're not, th- they're not thick skinned enough and they don't get paid enough to be yelled at and called some of the things. And so, you know, we're trying to take a, a harder stance on it um, to where, you know, we're talking about finding people. They do it at the, the high school level and, and, and stuff. So we're, we're like, what do we need to do? So, Trying to take a, a, a firm stance on that is what we're trying to do. So we'll see if it, if it helps. Yeah, I have to. I have to admit, some folks who are out there who will listen to this know that sometimes when I'm on the touchline, I have not. I have been that parent. So you know, I, 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 I apologize to all of the mostly center refs because <laughs> a lot of the ARs are young, and I don't. I don't take it out on the on the young ones. But I mean, yeah, you know, and I've seen. I think uh, my first one of my first tournaments with my older son. We went. I think it was up in Oak Ridge, and I watched a father not only get tossed from the game, but get tossed from the complex, um, but and followed out by like local sheriffs. And that was. I mean, that's probably mm-hmm. a bit much. I mean, I you know, it, it is. It's like a. It I mean, and I and I know that. You know, I work with uh, our. I work with CFCA a little bit on a parents alliance, and and have listened to soccer parenting and and kind of read some some things. And um, it you know it's it's a shame that uh, that that we're losing. You, I mean, you can't have a game without refs. So you know, we, we right. need we right. need those we need those kids and and having you know friends of my friends of my sons who ref. Um, you know, it's uh, it's just a shame what, what you know that that forty five percent is. Uh, I just I, you know I knew it was bad, but you know that's that's pretty extreme. 
I'll apologize for Jim being responsible for for 22 percent of those from 08 to 18. No, no, no. I mean, I I have said things before, but. Uh, but I, I am Sorry, nowhere 21%. near, I, <laughs> no, I am nowhere near a really bad one, but you know, there have been, I, there, I can think of one moment in a school game that I was not especially proud of. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Jim, the first step is being honest with yourself. Well done. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's right. Jim, I thought, I thought, I thought you also got tossed from the petting zoo at, uh, Chattanooga. No, I have never been, true? I have never been asked to leave any other establishment. <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as you know uh, so um so you know i think there are some folks in chattanooga who would who would yell at us if we didn't ask this question because they like to ask this question of everyone you talked about does you does the u.s look to the belgian model the other models well a lot of those models have something in common and that is promotion and relegation in up and down and open pyramid so what is your oh. stance on promotion oh. and relegation in the united states Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, it's it's not, you know, we don't, it's not like we get a vote in it. I think that the Federation is trying to, to make that happen, you know, and you hear, you see MLS, you hear USL one, two, three. I mean, I think it's kind of that way, but the problem that we have is there's all these lawsuits going on, you know, and so everybody still wants to, to keep the, the NPSL, the NASL, PDL, you know, all these different groups are out there and it's like, okay, look, well, if we're going to make this happen, we got to settle on what that format's going to be. But, um, you know, th- th- there are those that are really outspoken with each league and there's a lot of history in, 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 in each of them. And so w- what is the, what is the pyramid? What does it look like? And, you know, how do we, how do we figure out what's going to work? Cause there's a lot of money. I mean, I think even, this is that has been the hardest part. Is like even when you're looking at the MLS and you're like, okay, well, we have a second league. What group that just paid, you know, what was it, Charlotte that just paid two hundred million for their franchise? Is that right? I mean, are they going to get relegated down? I mean, they, yeah. So I mean, that's I think that's the other thing. I think even you know, like Mr. Ingram, I think he paid uh, ten million or something. It wasn't anything close. I mean, he like quadrupled his investment or twenty million, something like that. So. I, I just think that that's the hard part. You've got some very, very wealthy people that have put a lot of money into their team and, to, and had to build a stadium and everything else. And so now it's like, okay, you're telling that team, Atlanta United, hey, you finish bottom of the league, you're going to have to be relegated. How does that work? And so I don't think anybody's been able to sort the answer out. Now, I said before, before we were talking, there's a guy on my staff that lives and eats and breathes this. He's probably the better person to talk to. But <laughs> That's Hans opinion at a at a, at a very small level. Yeah. So do you? I, you know, I meant to ask you this at the beginning. Do Do you follow any? What's your favorite? What's your favorite soccer team? Soccer club? Oh gosh. So this is this is my story. I stick to it. I uh, I, I in, in MLS it was uh, DC United. I, like I said, I grew up in Virginia, so I followed DC United. But now that we are we have our own team here, it will be uh, Nashville. Uh, so that's my MLS team. But then growing up. I mean, the only way you ever got to watch television as a 74 is if you had a satellite dish the size of your house. So uh, the friends that I grew up with playing soccer were all Man United fans. And I kind of felt like as, as I'm listening to everybody, Man United, Man United, I felt like it was kind of the Yankees. And uh, I didn't want to be the guy that followed uh, everybody. So I was like, what's another team? And I asked my coach, and he's like, well, another good team's Arsenal. And this no, Arsenal, Arsenal. Yes. I'm hanging up. Hey, they're they're – 
Uh, oh, yeah, I'm an Arsenal fan, and I've been <laughs> yes. ever since. No fan, other fan. I'm I'm an Arsenal fan. Seriously, this whole this whole this whole interview is not trash. <laughs> that oh, Todd, I was praying, and I thought when when he as soon as he said, I know, I saw a glimmer of hope there. I saw hope. <laughs> no, like, oh, my friends no. like that. I was like, here we go. Hey, no, hey, no. hey, trust me, it's not it's not easy to say that right now. Hey, you know? it's not easy to say that. Right go now. go Gunners. Uh, I mean, my uh my go Gunners. Yeah, my my Twitter handle is at Chattagooner. So. Um, you know, <laughs> I was praying and when, Hans Gunner. <laughs> and when you said my friends were man United fans and I wanted to do something different, I was like, I know exactly where he's going. <laughs> I know exactly because of your age. I, in my head, I was uh, in my head. I was like, here, here it goes. He's no, not yeah. because, because, <laughs> no, no, because of his age, I knew at, at you know when at his formative years, the the big game was Man United and Arsenal. So if he if his friends yeah. were United fans, I had a feeling, and he said it. It was it's a be- it's a beautiful I mean, thing. Arsenal I would have settled for so many other things. <laughs> oh yeah, Arsenal always makes an appearance on the podcast, and I didn't have to do it. So that that's that made my night. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that, that made my night. Well, Hans, anything anything else you want to share with us? Any breaking news from the uh, TSSA or things you just uh, want any anybody to know and put it out there? No, just uh, I, we we covered probably everything that I would have said if, if if you didn't. But I would just say you know we're we're here. We're here for our members. We're here for uh, the parents, the players, and. You know, if anybody ever has any questions, feel free to give us a call. Our our, our office number six one five five nine zero twenty two hundred, and um, follow us on Facebook. We're on Twitter, and uh, you know we're we're here. We're here to support and grow the game. And and I and I uh, will will back up what you just said. Uh, he even returned my phone call within uh, twenty four hours, uh, and he had no idea who I was. Just a guy wanting to ask a, a random question, and it turned into this interview. So. Uh, so thank you so much for being being on with us this evening. Yeah, uh, Jim, you got anything else? No, I just I just hope you have a good you know rest of your two or three hour commute. I, ho- I hope this was a. a <laughs> <laughs> I just pulled in the driveway. You guys got me home. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. That's great. Thanks so much, and uh, you know, thanks for everything you do for the game and for the the kids and professionals and uh, or the adults in the state of Tennessee. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. All take right. care, Hans. All right. And welcome back to the 423 Soccer Podcast. Uh, thank you again to Hans Hobson, Executive Director of the Tennessee State Soccer Association. Uh, just a great all overall interview filled with tons of information. And we'd like to thank Ghost Bros, uh, who remind you to eat local and ball local. So, did uh, just out of curiosity, Jim, did he say anything that struck you as interesting? Maybe a tidbit that maybe people might have missed out on? Well, there's a lot of things that he said that was interesting, but when he talked... He mentioned that there was, I think, and we were talking about some of the struggles of youth soccer. He mentioned that there are a number of places that that players can register with and clubs can register with. And he mentioned that there was a club in Chattanooga that did not register with TSSA and registered, I believe, with Georgia. Uh, I believe that's where they uh, – he he mentioned that they might have gone with um, U.S. youth soccer or with Georgia. I think they did go to Georgia – and you know, for those for those who don't know, I mean, he is talking about the Red Wolves Academy and the reason why they 
Oh, well, yes, I'm yes gonna... Jim. Explain why why would <laughs> why would uh, why would they not be registered? Uh, so many of those players came directly from the CFC Academy. Yeah. Why would so many? Why would they choose to switch affiliations with a soccer association? Why not that be? Well, it's got something to do with coaches. It's got something to do with um, being able to switch clubs in the middle of you know within a. I think you within a year. I think you've got to wait a year to prevent exactly kind of what happened, where you've got one club poaching coaches and players from another club within the same area. So, you know, that's only a TSSA rule. And so if you're not in TSSA, then it doesn't matter. So, you know, so, they, so if you wanted to take, if you want to take a large quantity of another, uh, another academy's coaches and players, yeah. if you wanted to stay in, in TSSA, then those coaches would have to coach different age groups, yeah. right? They yeah, for at least from a U17 for a year. To U17. Yeah, yeah, for they'd a have year. to. Yeah, they'd have to coach but, a different age group. Yeah, yeah. But if you registered with a different association, say AYSO or something like yeah. that, then you could yeah. take the coaches mm-hmm. and you could take the players, and yeah. it, like it was seamless. Yep. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so, you know, folks, and, this is not a uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just I was just gonna say it's you know I you know, I I toyed with it. I mean I knew where he was talking about. You know, I toyed with asking him. I didn't want to put him on the spot, but I mean it's yeah it's, it's what it's what happened. I mean I, you know the it's 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 unfortunate. It's it's one of the um, one of the things that you know he mentioned. It's one of the kind of struggles that all these groups kind of don't get on the same page, um, but it happened. So. And he said that they were looking to come back. And now, now you and I, we are making the assumption that he is talking about the Red Wolves Academy that are wanting to come back to TSSA. I don't, I don't think that's a stretch in this situation. If they did, I would have a huge problem with TSSA bringing them back because I think ethically, I think there's a problem. I think that TSSA knows exactly why they, they left and they chose not to register with them. I think they know exactly how most of their uh, academy was collected and how their, their coaching staff was co- you know assembled. Uh, and I think they the way that they expose a loophole, if you will, I think has ethical uh, a lot of ethical problems to it. And I think that TSSA would be sending the wrong message by allowing them back in. Yeah, I I understand that. Uh, I think, um, you know, I, I think from at least CFCs, I, I can't speak for the academy, but, you know, I think from listening to people talk, you know, I, they, I think we feel and, and the academy feels that the academy is stronger now because of what happened. And so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if they would, if they would care too much. I think, I mean, I think they would care. You know what I, you know what I mean. I think I think there's 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 right. still, it's still kind of raw. But in in one way, you know, I, I think with Steve and and some of the other leadership and the other coaches, uh, you know, I think I think CFCA feels that they're in a a better place right now. And so, you know, who knows? I mean, that. They probably want to be back because you know they can't participate in the Tennessee State Cup. They can't do those those types of things. And and I, you know I know that they've got the USL Academy uh, League and Cup that they can play in. But you know it's 
Um, I would imagine they want to be back in the Tennessee State Association. I, um, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, part part of me says fine. Let, you know, let them back in. You know, you've 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 played. Everybody knows that you played a little game, and and you've you've uh, accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. Um, everybody can see. I, everybody can see it for what it is. And so, you know. You know what? That part of you that wants to let them back in is the same part of you that's an Arsenal fan. And I just <laughs> want to take him out back and beat him with a stick. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. I, I understand. By the way, I, I will say to, to all the all the, uh, to all the listener out there. Yes. <laughs> I I almost fell off my seat when he, uh, uh. When, when he answered the question uh, about what, what club he was, and I knew where he was going. I knew where he was going when he said that all of his friends I, I like have, I would, United. And I told you, I told you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change his answer for anything. It was almost on script. <laughs> I was like, "Come on!" Absolutely, so. it was, it was glorious. You know, Arsenal makes an appearance in every podcast, and I didn't have to do it. So it is, it is funnier when you don't have to make an effort. Exactly when it just happens organically. It, it was, it was great. Yes. So, yeah, so yeah, that was there's a little there's a little backstory to his to that answer. Um, you know, I it's interesting that he and he and Matt Yelton played. You know, Yelton is now he was the former, I guess, director of coaching, I guess, for CFC Academy, who's now over at Red Wolves Academy. Um, so it's interesting that he he dropped the name and then mentioned the you know mentioned that little tidbit. I mean, I, I think I think they're upset by it. Uh, I can't speak for I can't speak I won't speak for TSSA, but I think they were not happy. They're not thrilled with it. So, um, but if you know if nothing's stopping them from coming back, everybody can see it for what it is. And so I think you know that what they did was was wrong. And uh, but everybody can see that. And I think eventually the uh, CFC Academy will be stronger for it. And and you know they can move forward and and kind of continue to grow the academy in the way that we want to grow it. So I guess that's that's all I'll say about that. All right. Thank you, Forrest. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and he, uh, and a, a fellow University of Alabama graduate. So. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're most esteemed graduate. Exactly. You don't know how many times I get asked. <laughs> Uh, you know how many times I've been asked about Forrest? I'm like, no, he is no, he's not a real person. Uh, I will say though, you know, watching, <laughs> watching, hey. watching that movie, I would have. I bet you get asked that every time you go back for like a, a alumni weekend or a homecoming. <laughs> you see your fellow graduates. Where's Forrest Gump at? <laughs> what? No, we uh, we we know that he's not real. Um. But I would have I would have bet a lot of money that that movie was shot on campus because there are some there are some scenes that look really I mean like the buildings I thought they were and and none of them were there's your little tidbit for 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 your your Alabama slash Forrest Gump trivia so I think I think we've scraped the bottom of the of the barrel yeah we've arrived we've arrived time to wrap it up yeah so. I all think, right, if you've made it to this part of the podcast, we'd like to thank uh, Congratulations. First of all, first of all, go commit yourself to your local psychiatric <laughs> treatment facility. Um, sorry, we we don't reimburse you that that fee, but uh, no, uh, it was a great interview with Hans. Uh, thanks because first of all, because he basically does the interview for you, and uh, 
we'll be uh, looking for you guys maybe next week. We're going to try to get something together again. So uh, yeah. just hang with us. Yeah, like I, like I said on Twitter before this interview, we're you know switching gears a little bit, maybe talk about some youth soccer. So there are some folks with the academy that I'm trying to line up for some interviews that will give us the academy approach. I would like to talk to some people about kind of the history of youth soccer as they know it in uh, in the area. They've been around and, and very involved with youth soccer, both on the rec and the club level. Uh, so I think that's kind of the next two weeks. Hopefully in, in that time frame, we'll get some player announcements. Um, we'll get some more maybe filler, uh, some filler information for the schedule. We might find out something about a friendly. I don't know what I was saying. It's just we'll find out some more. Shut up, Todd. We'll find out some more information that will fill out the schedule. We'll find out some more crap to talk about. Exactly. Because, you know, (laughs) because we need it. We need it. Our fan is required, is is asking for it. So if you would, you know, I'll have to ask folks who are listening, please, if you could go and give us a, a good review on iTunes or on whatever. Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called now. Uh, give us a five-star review. You can say whatever you want, but uh, give us a five-star. If you do go or when you do go to Dos Bros and have some really good food, if you would let them know that the 433 Soccer Pod, we appreciate their you know, their support and their support of CFC and let them know how you found, this, how you found them. And if you need to find us uh, on Twitter, you could find the podcast at – Four two three soccer pod. Again, this is Jim. You can find me on Twitter. You can block me or mute me, and you've probably wanted to over the past couple of weeks. Um, you could do that at Chattagooner, and you can find me making fun of Jim at Great Footballer. So until we see y'all again, go CFC, go Blues. Oh, Mr. Oliveira with a cheeky goal. <laughs>